Uh, let's open up our Bibles to Mark chapter 10 as we continue on through the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 10 and verse 1. <clears throat> now, again, I want to remind you, we, from the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is now headed to the cross. That's where His end goal is. His mission is going. And so from here on, He's leaving Galilee and headed towards that cross in Jerusalem. And we're going to see as He go. Now, it's important to understand, as Jesus was teaching, crowds were following. Crowds were following. Crowds were, people were being healed. And uh, we're going to see that the Pharisees have been losing ground. And that's what's going to start prompting some of the, these testing questions that they give to him in Mark's gospel. So let's go ahead and uh, start out in verse 1. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again and again, as was his custom, he taught them. Verse 2. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, he asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? Verse 4, they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. <clears throat> and Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Pray with me, would you? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. And Lord God, we just pray that we would be ready to receive it, Lord. We'd be good soil, receiving your word, and Lord, that it would be um, well-watered, well-fed, and uh, grow, uh, bear fruit in our lives. And uh, we thank you for this, and we ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Nick, would you mind giving me a glass of water, or a cup of water? Thanks. I forgot my water. So Jesus here is on his way towards Judea, is on his way to Jerusalem. The Pharisees catch up with him in verse 2, and they ask him a question. Now, it's interesting because they didn't come to ask for truth. They're not seeking truth. They're seeking to test Jesus. And you know what? I know that there are a lot of people who want, want to do that. You'll, you'll be talking to the gospel, or they'll, they'll figure out that you're a Christian. And rather than asking about the truth of it, or why you believe it, they seek to test you. That's what the deal is. Well, what about the dinosaurs? You know, that's one of the questions. And by the way, there's answers for all these questions. One of my, my questions always back to people is, well, tell you what, if I answer your questions, are you ready to receive the Lord Jesus? Are you ready to be born again? And often they'll go, well, I, I don't know. Do you really want to know the truth, or do you just want to ask questions? And this is really the case with the Pharisees. They don't want to know truth. They just want to test it. And here's what they're testing. They're trying to catch Jesus up and get him in a lot of trouble with the authorities. If you remember earlier on in Mark's gospel, John the Baptist was beheaded by King Herod at the request of Herodias. Remember uh, her daughter, Herod's stepdaughter went and did this sensual dance for him, and he, and, and he was so excited by it, he said, ask anything, and I'll give it to you. And she said, I want the head of John the Baptist. And remember, John the Baptist had spoken out against their marriage. He had, he had blatantly told them that they were in an adulterous relationship because Herod had stole Herodias from his brother. And so... So this was a big issue. Now they're in that area that Herod controls, and the Pharisees come up and say, okay, we're going to test you here. How, how is it that, um, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? That's the question here. And because if Jesus says, no, it's not lawful, uh-oh, you're doing the same thing John the Baptist did. You're coming out against Herod and the authorities, and if he says it is lawful, um, then they're justified in what they're doing. Now, there are two schools of rabbinic schools of thought right now in Jesus' day. The first rabbinic school of thought was very conservative. And, and it was, it was in, in relationship to this passage in Deuteronomy that talks about the certificate of divorce, which we'll read in just a minute. But this school of thought was that, yeah, God allowed for divorce, 
And, and we're all curious about this too, right? Because many of us in this room have been impacted by divorce and have questions about it. Well, God allows for divorce, but it was only on special circumstances. Circumstances such as infidelity, adulterous relationships. Other than that, marriage is for life. That was one school of thought. There was a competing school of thought that was much more open, much more liberal. And what that said was, yeah, you know, if you're a man and you are not happy with your wife, if you're not pleased with her, if she's not cooking your meal right or seasoning it right, you can write her a certificate of divorce and go find a new wife. In fact, if you find a woman who's prettier than your wife, you can write a certificate of divorce and go get a new wife. So which one do you think was more popular? You know? Well, people are always going to choose, if you let, leave it to the masses to choose, we're always going to choose the, 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 the law that best suits our needs, our sin nature. The, the stuff we want, not the stuff we need. Um, and so, so the, this other school of thought was a very popular one, and that was, that was the one that was coming out in Jesus' day, that you could just divorce. And by the way, if for some reason the law didn't allow you to divorce your wife because maybe you seduced your wife and you had to marry her, or, or maybe you couldn't afford the, the, uh, the dowry, they would, give a, they would put up a sum of money. And if you divorced this woman, you had to pay out the money. They didn't have court. You just write a certificate of divorce, here's the money. Well, maybe you couldn't afford that. So here's what the rabbis would teach. You can get out of that. Here's what you do. You go get a second wife. And you make the first wife regret that she's staying with you. That's what you do. By the way, women in Jesus' day could not write a certificate of divorce. Women had no option. It was only up to the man. Sound fair? Not at all. This is not freedom. This is what the law, when we live by the law, this is what happens. We tweak the law. We adjust the law. We try to make the law suit our own needs. But it's really not understanding the heart of God. And so Jesus does something awesome. And by the way, if you're married or you're even thinking about getting married or someday you hope to get married, I want you to learn this principle. Jesus answered him this way. What did Moses command you? Essentially, Jesus said, well, what does the Word of God say? That's what he said. And by the way, I'll tell you right now, this is the secret to a successful marriage. What does the Word of God say? And why I mean that this is a secret to the successful marriage is that I have found in my own life and in my wife's life and in our married life, because we've had lots of friends who have not made it. They're already divorced. Um, we've, we've seen couples come and go, and we're kind of like, what's different? I think what the major difference is, is we go to the God first. We let God be supreme in our relationship. So that when my wife comes to me and says, hey, Dave, I don't like that you've been doing this. I've got to go, I, you know, of course, you know, there may be a, a fight or an argument or whatever the case is. But both of us are willing to humble ourselves and go before the Lord and say, all right, Lord, was this right on our part? And, and the Lord, okay, no, you're an idiot. Okay, honey, I'm an idiot, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so we're willing to submit to the Word of God and let the Word of God be above us. We're not looking for the Word of man, we're not looking to other pastors who are going to tell us what we want to hear or counselors out there that say, you know what, you guys aren't a very good fit. I'll tell you right now, be married to anybody long enough and you'll find out that there's no such thing as a perfect fit. You're not, there's no compatibility sort of thing, issues here. I mean, you're going to find that, that over time you'll see all the things on how you don't fit. And if you look for a, mar a spouse, they're like, well, I want to see if they're a good fit. You're, you're, you're using the wrong test to prepare for marriage. So Jesus says, what does the word of God say? What does Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce to send her away. Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Divorce has never been God's divine purpose for marriage. God, divorce has never been his ideal. The, the reason why divorce exists is because sin exists, because of hardness of heart, because people are unwilling to humble themselves. People are unwilling to stay content with the wife that God has given them or the husband that God has given them. Divorce happens because of our selfish natures, because we, we get hurt by someone, we start to build up walls. 
We start to be resentful. We start to hate. It's interesting about divorce because I've never met a couple who have divorced that have been happy during the divorce. Never, it's never brought happiness. I don't see how divorce brings happiness ever. And, and I'm sure you all have seen the very same thing. Divorce is ugly. It's because of the hardness of heart. You know, I was out at three days and three nights working with the youth group. We started building that new fence around the trash enclosure out there. And uh, So what the plan was, was they, they had cemented in all the, the old posts, and they were rotten. So we were going to break out the old post and then, and then chip out all the wood and drill it out and prep the holes. So we, we've, we got these four-by-four four holes prepped, and we bought these new Simpson tie anchors that have a bolt that go down it. And then we were going to mix rapid set concrete and fill the hole and set the anchors and it was going to be great. It was a perfect plan and it was going to go up well. Well, the first set of rapids, and by the way, Wyatt and Brian, you raise your hand right now, okay? These guys were helping me and it was their first time mixing, working with rapid set. And uh, so I, we have the drill ready, and they're going to mix it. And so they made the first batch, and we pour the first batch in, and it wasn't quite mixed well enough. I'm like, oh, no, it's not mixed well enough. Put more water in. So we're putting more water in, and, and we're trying to get the, the Simpson tie set so we can have something for our 4x4. Four four. And before we know it, this thing has set. And, and I just go, it's over. <laughs> it is over. Now we're at the point where, okay, now we've got to figure out how to break it out because it's bonded with the old concrete and it's all a mess. So we had to break it out. So this bond happens. This concrete that we poured in there became part of the old. And, and as we broke it out, we had to mar the, the old concrete and make the hole bigger. That's what divorce does. God says that when we're married, we're joined together, one person there's no way you're going to separate the two without a lot of tearing and marring. It is impossible. Impossible. But it was because of the hardness of heart that God, uh, Moses, allowed this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, verse 7, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Listen, if you are in troubled times in your marriage, I encourage you, start up some biblical counseling. What is biblical counseling? Well, I'll tell you what it is. You come in, and you don't come in to fix your spouse. You come in to fix yourself. You start with the Holy Spirit and a Bible. And you say, Holy Spirit, I'm a sinner. And I'm full of sin. Search me and reveal sin in my life. That's what Jesus told us to do, right? Jesus said that before we were ready to help our friends remove a splinter out of their eye, we've got to remove the telephone pole from our own eye so we can see clearly to help them. Sadly to say that a lot of the times that when married couples come in and they're upset and they're ready to start counseling, it's like, she did this and she did that and, she, and she's all, bah, 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 bah. You know, and, they, and then the men start m mimicking their, the way their wife sounds. And they all sound the same, by the way. They all sound like this. That's how the, the man mimic of the woman voice is. And, and, and the woman starts going, he doesn't understand me. And the cry, and you know, and never, never have they sat down with the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, where am I in sin? What have I done? How do I, what do I need to fix? Believe it or not, once they start to do that, once they're willing to submit to the Lord, God starts surfacing things. And as God starts surfacing things, these things that they're, these, this bitterness that they're holding into, these walls that they've built with their spouse, don't seem quite so high. Because the wall that they built with God was much higher. It's all about submitting to the Lord. It's all about honoring the Lord. And by the way, this is going to go on with the whole idea of polygamy too. With Jesus' words here, he's going to change this whole idea that you're not just supposed to go on and get other wives and other, uh, other spouses. No, you're supposed to have your one wife and be married to her alone. And likewise, women to that one husband and be together. And so we go on to verse 10. 
And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now again, this, this passage here, Mark leaves a little bit out of it. Matthew 5.32 gives us a little bit more fuller um, statement from Jesus. And what it is is this. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So Matthew gives us a little fuller explanation. But the disciples want to know more about this whole thing. Because they're recognizing that, whoa, God takes marriage seriously. In fact, in Matthew later on, they say, well, maybe, Lord, it's better for us not to marry. Like once they realize how serious God is about marriage, it's not something you take lightly. It's not a casual relationship. It is a covenantal relationship. And it's meant to be for a lifetime. It's because of sin. When sin enters into the relationship and hardness of heart, that God allows for divorce. And so Jesus gives this very hard teaching. By the way, Jesus is not giving a full statement on what are the grounds or can we divorce if. That's not what he's doing here. He wants his hearers, the disciples, to know how serious divorce is and that only under serious circumstances is this even allowed by God. But it's still not God's, God's divine idea for marriage. It's just allowed by God. It's permitted by God. Paul goes on to say in Corinthians 7, 1 Corinthians 7, that if a, a believer is married to an unbeliever and he's unwilling to, to live with her or she's unwilling to live with him, then they're permitted to, to divorce. That's okay. But, but if they're willing to live with the believer, and, and, and then you should continue living with them and continue being married to them. So there, there's a sense of, of abandonment that's okay for divorce. But that's not the point. The point isn't, can we divorce if? The point is, recognize that marriage is so important to God. It's worth so much that God uses marriage as an illustration continually between himself and Israel, between Christ and the church. It's very important to God. So don't take marriage lightly. I'll tell you right now, that's a major mistake. And, and I, I would encourage you, if you're not married yet, if you're young and you're thinking about getting married, make up your mind right now. Resolve in your hearts to set apart Christ as Lord and all of His teaching. Resolve in your hearts that you will remain married until death do us part. That is your goal. Your goal is not to, to just say, well, we're not getting along any well. Well, we're, we're, we've got irreconcilable differences. We just can't, we're not compatible. Yeah, you know what? I'll tell you right now. I found right away, my wife and I in our first couple years of marriage, we found that there were lots of areas where we weren't compatible. We had awesome fights. Awesome in the sense of like, wow, so embarrassing now that I look back on that. Um, of course, she was a saint, by the way. It was always my fault. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, we, we found out right away that we had different ideas about things, how things were to be done. I, I remember one time we got in a fight over... Um, whether our kids would go to private school or public school, and we didn't even have kids yet, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> it's one of those things that, that don't look for compatibility. In fact, don't even look in a wife or a husband for, for someone that like, well, I want to make sure they're meeting my needs, and now they're no longer meeting my needs, so it's time to, no, that's not the way marriage works. Once you step up there and you make that vow, once you make that covenant before God, let man not separate. By the way, we're not just talking about outward forces. We're talking about you, yourselves. Don't let a wedge be driven between you and your spouse. You've got to figure out, you've got to open yourself, all right, Lord, yeah, I, I need to put more time in at home. Yeah, I need, to, <laughs> I need to recognize my wife needs more out of me or my husband needs this out of me. Recognize that. It is important. So notice here in verse 12, though, after Jesus talks about divorce and marrying other people, that it, it's a form of adultery, he says, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. You know what's interesting about this passage is in Jesus' day, this wasn't even possible. 
women had never, they didn't have the right to do this. Women weren't allowed to go divorce their husband. Now, I know we're like, that's not fair. Well, welcome to the reality of a sinful world. <laughs> Nothing, things aren't fair. But Jesus recognizes that even a woman has this right. She could choose to divorce her husband. And, and today we see that all the time in our culture. And praise God that his word speaks into our lives today. Let me encourage you. Look to the Lord for direction in marriage. That's the, that's the one thing I want you to get out of this part of the text tonight is you need to look to the Lord. Let's move on now to verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus saw it. He was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. By the way, in Jesus' culture, it was good to, to have a rabbi touch a child. It was something that, that you wanted to do. Good rabbis were revered, good teachers. And, and so it was a good thing to have your child touched by a rabbi. In fact, even today in Jerusalem, if you go there, there are rabbis that, that you'll see women bringing children up to a rabbi. The rabbi kind of comes by and touches them and moves on to the next one. And it, it, it's a big deal. To have a blessing from a rabbi or be touched by a rabbi. And the, these people were bringing their children to him. And, and I want you to know the key word here is the, or the key um, object here is the kingdom of God. See, the disciples were ready for God to establish his kingdom. They were ready to usher this in. And children, they're not that important. Children don't have any political value. They have no clout. In fact, you don't even know if they're going to make it past age 12 in, this, in first century Palestine. They might get sick. They might die. They're weak. They can't start up a war. Children are weak. The master's got better things to do than touch your children. He's going to establish his messianic kingdom. You know, I love how it's the disciples, the good old disciples. <laughs> don't worry, Jesus. We got this covered. What are you thinking bringing your kids here? Can you imagine coming to church with your kids? Are you serious? You're going to bring your kids in here? Why would you do that? <laughs> this is not a very welcoming church. <laughs> I, uh, I love uh, our, our children's ministry. Um, Megan Shore sends out weekly updates, and if you don't get them, you can sign up for them. And uh, she was sharing about um, one week in their update on March 24th, that they had been studying um, John 12, 1 through 11, that Mary knew Jesus was worthy of worship and about Jesus being anointed um, with the oil. And so during their respond time, the kids have a worship time and a respond time, and it's a chance for the kids to pray and talk to God and respond to God. And um, she said during the respond time, they asked um, the kids what they know about Jesus. Here was the response from the kids. He never fails. He is God. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. Amen. He loves everyone. He is the Lord. He gives us life. He is incredible. He helps everybody. He stays with us forever. He gives us blessings. He gives us chances. He is righteous, wise. He is good. He is holy. He is strong. He is epic. Jesus is courageous. Jesus is loving. He is wise. He is worthy. He is alive. And He is just. Man, isn't that amazing? The children recognize this about Jesus. I wonder what that would be like tonight if I said, hey, say a word real fast about who Jesus is. And we go, um... He is God. Well, what's the theologically correct term for this? Let me think about this. You know, <laughs> is there a Greek word that would better express this? You know, man, the children just recognize who Jesus is. And by the way, Jesus says the children are important. Let them come to me. Don't hinder them. Let them come. I want to encourage you, parents and family, introduce your children to Jesus very early on. Do it. Bring them to Jesus. Let them know. I, uh, 
in youth ministry over the years, it was, it's been kind of interesting because every now and then we'd get parents that would get upset about their kids coming to youth group. Like, they would start saying, okay, you can't go to church anymore. This is not good. Now, here's the things we do at youth group. We tell kids, like, you should honor your parents. You know, honor your mother and father. Uh, yeah, lion's bat. Yeah, you definitely should not smoke pot. You should quit that right now. Um, we, we say things like, you should wait for marriage. I mean, I know these are terrible teachings, and the ideas of, of teaching kids this is very corrupting. We teach them about Jesus. We teach them that God loves them. Man, these are, these are terrible teachings to teach a kid. But every now and then we'd have a parent that said, you know, you've been going to church too much. We're not sure we want you going to church. Or at least go to some other churches. Get a broader view about religion. We want you to make sure you have an open mind. Well, are you crazy? Are you crazy? I, no, no, in no other way do, do parents say, you know, we should teach our kids lies first and then truths or some truths and some lies, and let them kind of figure it out for themselves. That's called bad parenting. It's bad parenting to say, yeah, you know, I know this is your first car, and I want to encourage you, you know, stop by 7-Eleven, get a big gulp, fill it up with Diet Coke, and pour it into the gas tank. It's a little bit cheaper than gas nowadays, and you'll go farther. We don't do that as parents. In fact, as parents, we love our kids. We want them to know truths. We want to teach them. So why is it that we want to hinder them from coming to Jesus? No, introduce your kids to Jesus early on. The Bible tells us to train a child in the way that they should go. Now, you can't force them to go the right way, but you can certainly train them as a parent. Corey Tin Boom tells, uh, an il- gives an illustration <clears throat> about burdens and when children are ready for it. And, you know, some parents have this idea that we should expose our, let our kids have ex- wide exposure to the world. And she said that they were, she was on a train with her dad, and she had asked her, she had heard a, a, someone say the word sex on the train, and she had said to her dad, well, what, what is that? What are they talking about? And her dad took his briefcase and says, here, pick this up. And she kind of picked it up, heaved it up, and was holding it, kind of trying to walk around with it. And she's like, it's too heavy. And his dad said, and so is this burden. For now, I'm strong enough to carry this burden, and you have to let me. Eventually, you'll be strong enough to carry this burden. We don't need to expose our kids to everything. We need to bring them to Jesus, expose them to Jesus. Not expose them to all the things that the world has to offer. Hold back. There'll be plenty of time for them to deal with those burdens. But don't burden them down before they're ready. Let the children come to Jesus. Do not hinder them. For such belongs to the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. That's a really interesting statement that Jesus made. Receiving the kingdom of God like a child. What does that mean? Well, you know what? Something about my kids that is quite amazing. When I talk to my kids about Jesus, they just know. They, they know, oh, Jesus died for us. Oh, Jesus is our God. They just know. They don't have these doubts. They, they know, oh, what do we, we should pray about this, Dad. You know, uh, when, when I'm trying to figure out something, my, my middle one, Claire, she's, she's usually the more sensitive one. And she's like, Jesus would know how to do this. All right, you're right. <laughs> you're right, Claire. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Claire. Um, <laughs> No, but, uh, of course, Lucy still says heretical things, so we don't trust her yet. So I asked her tonight during worship, she was in the back, and I said, who's Jesus? And she pointed at, at Katie. I'm like, no, that's totally wrong. So <laughs> that was, that's terrible. So <laughs> that's Lucy. <laughs> so... Yeah, so we're getting rid of Katie from the praise team next week. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, so don't hinder the children. And by the way, let me encourage you, be a part of children's ministry any way you can. By prayer, support it in prayer. You know, maybe you can't go and teach in Sunday school, but you can pray. You can pray for all those children. You can pray for release time education, those programs that go to the school. I remember when I first went to release time education, I was like, wait a minute. So I get to leave class for like an hour, and I can just leave during class time. Yeah, I'm go- I'm going. 
And, uh, and they share the gospel. So pray for those things. Verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a great question. And people still ask that question today. What does it take to inherit eternal life? And verse 18, And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Verse 20, And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Matthew, or the other, one of the other Gospels tells us that he was young, and I, I might be mixing up Matthew and Luke, and I apologize for that, I'm tired. Um, and one of the other Gospels tells us, Matthew or Luke tells us, one says he's young, the other says he's a ruler, and of course, Mark lets us know that he's also rich. So we don't know if he was a, a, some sort, on some sort of council, ruler of a synagogue. We're not really sure. We know he's young, and we know he's sincere. He's coming up to Jesus asking that life's most important question, how do I have eternal life? That is the most important question. And by the way, if you haven't figured that out in life yet, I want to encourage you, start by asking that question. And Jesus says, says seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added into you. So if, if you want to know how to have eternal life, start by seeking God. Start by seeking Jesus. And this is what this man is doing. He runs up to him, kneeling before him, good teacher. And, of course, Jesus right away keys in on that. And he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. And, and he's helping everybody. He's making a declarative statement right there. That's right. You're right in calling me good. I am God. And as the man says, okay, I need to know, and Jesus says, Okay, you know the commandments. And he begins to list them out. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Amazing how this, this man, this young, rich man says, I have kept all these from my youth. And Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Jesus doesn't catch him. Jesus doesn't trick him. It's not like the woman at the well where Jesus says, go get your husband. And she's like, I don't have a husband. And she said, you're right. In fact, you've had three, and the man you're with now isn't your husband. Jesus was really good about confronting sin in our lives. And he doesn't confront sins to tell us how, how much we stink. Jesus doesn't confront sin to say, man, you are lame. Jesus confronts sin so we can deal with it. So we can bring it to him. So that we can be forgiven. But here, Jesus doesn't do that with him. You lack one thing. You lack one thing. And, and I love how the passage tells us that he, Jesus loved him as he said this. Sell all you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. Now it wasn't, it wasn't the, that he, he, he needed one more task to do. It wasn't about, about okay, I've got I to earn this way, earn my way into heaven. I've got to give. It, it was about his heart. It's about the condition of his heart. You love your possessions and your status and your place more than you love me. And Jesus puts him to the test. And by the way, he does it with all of us. Remember, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's what Jesus demands of us. Brothers and sisters, we are moving into a time where it will cost to be a follower of Jesus. And for some, it's already costing. We're seeing Christians starting to be persecuted, losing their livelihoods, being fined, having to pay fines for standing up for what they believe in, for choosing not to perform same-sex marriages or, or doing flowers for them like what's going on up in Washington. We're moving in a time where it would cost us something. It's never been that way in America. There are many places in the world they know that it's expensive if you're going to follow Jesus. It's going to cost something. It's not easy. And we're moving away from a time in our culture where it's going to be easy to follow Jesus. We can have Jesus and also have our fun. 
No, we're, we're, we're starting to become polarized within the church. And now, now within the church, there's certain questions that we ask when someone says they're Christian. It's like, well, wait a minute, what do you mean by Christian? What do you allow? What do you accept? What do you, so on. We're, we're trying to figure out who's really a Christian, who's really a, a Bible-believing Christian versus someone who's, who's rejected the Word of God and is just saying they're a Christian. It will be costly if we're going to follow Jesus. And this man was no different. Jesus demands it of us. If we're going to follow him, we've got to be willing to give it up all. We've got to be willing to lay things at his altar and sacrifice him. Think for a moment at the thing you love most. Maybe it's your children. Abraham was asked to offer up Isaac, wasn't he? Can you imagine? You and I have the benefit of knowing what happens in that story at the end. But imagine Abraham on that journey. Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, go up to the mountain and sacrifice him. And they set out on that journey, Abraham knowing the whole way, all right, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust in you. I'm willing to lay down my son on the altar. I'm willing to give him up because of you. Of course, Abraham trusted God and, and he knew God would provide a ram and he says that. But the thing you love most, the thing you hold on to most dearly, are you willing to lay it at the altar of God and say, it's yours, Lord. It's yours. Because that's what Jesus demands of us. And this man, he wasn't willing. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. We can live a life in regret Or we can recognize the future kingdom. Let's look at verse 23 here in closing. We'll read this last passage. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to see, say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Man, what a teaching here that Jesus gives. How difficult it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. You have to understand, for the Jews, for Peter and the disciples, status was everything. Your wealth was a sign of God's blessing. It was a sign of God's favor on your life. It was a sign of, hey, you've got, you, you know what you're doing. Your political status, the, your placement, these things were a sign of wealth and God's blessing and, and now when Jesus is saying how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God, they're going like, wait a minute, difficult? Wait, we thought that was a sign of God's blessing. We thought that if someone's wealthy that they were being blessed by God. No, Jesus is, is saying that, hey, the wealthy. That, no, we're not talking just necessarily about monetary wealth. We're talking about those things that you hold on to. Those things that you trust in. Remember Jesus in his, the Beatitudes, the first thing he says is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. The poor, the spiritually bankrupt, those who have recognized their spiritual poverty, those who recognize their need for Jesus. See, the young man didn't recognize his need for Jesus. He recognized Jesus would have an answer, but he didn't recognize his need for Jesus. He wasn't willing to lay it all aside, lay it all down to follow Jesus. And by the way, in this passage here, when it says it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, there's a lot of false teachings on this, and one of which is that 
there's a gate in Jerusalem, and this gate is called the Eye of a Needle, and because a caravan would come up to this gate, and uh, in order to get into the gate, you'd have to take off all your stuff, and it, it was really difficult to get through. And, um, you know, I know that sounds really cool, and it kind of, oh, wow, there's a, another idea of this teaching, but see, there's a problem with that teaching, because that teaching is saying it's still possible for us to do this. Jesus was saying, it is impossible. And we can tell by the response of the, Je- uh, of the disciples, they're going, well, then who then can be saved? Jesus is giving us this illustration that is so far out. The eye of a needle. I got a needle here. That's a camel. I'm going to get that through this. What? No. It is impossible. Well, then who then can be saved? With man, it is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Don't you get it? Don't you understand that that's the whole reason why I've come? I've come to seek and to save the lost. I've come to atone for the sinful, the sinners. I've come to give my righteousness and trade it for their unrighteousness. I've come to pay an infinite debt that you can't afford. I've come to take care of you, to reconcile you to God because you can't do it on your own. It is impossible for you. Peter began to say to him, all right, Lord, we've left it all. (laughs) I love the disciples. They always turn to Peter, hey, we left it all. (laughs) You know, thumbs up. (laughs) Yeah, Jesus, we left it all. We're good. We're solid, right? (laughs) I like what Jesus responds to this. Notice what what he says. There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters, mother or father or children or lands. There is no sacrifice that you will make in this life for the kingdom of God. No sacrifice, nothing that you will lay upon the altar that God will not repay even more to you. It is an important idea for you to understand today that God will not be a debtor to you. God will not owe you anything. He doesn't need to borrow from you. God will not be indebted to anyone. He will repay. Any sacrifice we give to Him, He will pay back. And that's what Jesus is saying. Anything you lose, brother, sister's house, Father, children, lands, for my sake, for the gospel, you'll receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, and also eternal life. But notice Jesus puts in something. I love how there's all these positive things. Okay, I'm going to invest in the kingdom, and it's going to be a great investment with persecutions. Jesus is talking about his church in this life. And we see in the book of Acts, we see people selling their possessions and giving it to each other. And what do we see that they received in return? People may have lost some brothers and sisters, but I got a whole room full here of brothers and sisters. We were up up at the men's retreat, and um, it's so cool. You know, you just get to know guys so much better just hanging out with them and and doing stuff, blowing things up and shooting things and riding and off-roading. And just you just get to know guys and... And, and I'm just so, so thankful for my brothers that God has provided for me. I, I, I have two older sisters, never had brothers. And I had a whole church full of brothers. It's good. Whatever you lose in this life, God will give back to you. And especially in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. I want to encourage you. If there's something you haven't laid down yet, If there's something that you're holding on to that's hindering you from following Jesus, lay it down tonight. Know that the returns on his dividends, the dividends that God will give to you are going to be so much greater than anything you could ever earn in your life. Why are you holding on to it so much? Because if the grave is all that waits for you, and whatever it is you're holding on to, it's not going to do very much for you. But if you take it and you lay it upon that altar and you say, Lord, here it is. It's yours. You take it. You take my life. You take my possessions. You take everything. It's all yours. You have it. Here's my kids, Lord. They're yours. 
You take them, and I'm ready to follow you. That's the challenge of this passage. I'll never forget preaching this message at a Catholic church on Lent. I got asked, I know this is so weird, I got asked to, to come preach to a Catholic youth group on Lent. And I was like, wait, what? You guys know I'm, um, I'm evangelical Protestant, right? Yeah, yeah, we know. But um, one of our kids that comes to our youth group also goes to your youth group. And, and she said, like, oh, we got to have this youth pastor come in and preach. And I'm like, really? And, um, and so I, I, okay, I'll come and share, the, uh, share uh, a Bible study with your youth group on Lent. And um, <clears throat> I got in there and I was, I, I had been to Catholic youth groups before when I was a kid, but I, I wasn't raised Catholic, and um, it was impressed upon me the, the a lot of the the religious aspects, and 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 I know I recognize recognizing that they're very devout people. Right away, the message that I had prepared, I said, "Nope, this is the wrong message." Recognizing how devout they were, recognizing how religious they were, I I just thought of this rich young ruler. This man is a devout man. He, he's doing it all. He's all. He wants to honor the Lord. He wants to please the Lord. But there was one thing missing, his heart. One thing. And, and we were on Lent. And, and, you know, Lent, you're supposed to, it's preparation for Easter. You're supposed to give something up for Lent. You're supposed to say something. And the kids were sharing prior to me getting up for Bible study what they were giving up for Lent. And, you know, some were giving up video games. Some were giving up this. And, and I was thinking about these things going, video games? Does God really want you? I mean, maybe there's, there's things getting in the way of your relationship, but, but does God only want you to give those things up for 40 days and then just resume right out, binge back on those things? That's not what God wants. God wants our heart. That's what he wants. So when I got up, I shared this message about the rich young ruler, and I said, if you want to give something to Jesus tonight, give your heart. Surrender your heart. That's what Jesus wants for Lent. He doesn't want your works because he did the work. He doesn't, he doesn't want whatever you think is worthwhile. He wants you. He wants your heart. Are you ready to give that up for Jesus? to Jesus? <laughs> hands came up. People raising their hands. I was like, what? Really? And now, by the way, <laughs> when things like that happen to me, I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so dumb. Anyway, <laughs> hands came up. They and I said, oh, "Okay, let's pray." <laughs> I was like, "What do we do now?" <laughs> so we prayed, and then kids started coming up talking to me. And um, and you know, the goal wasn't to to take them out of the youth group. I did keep in touch with some of them over the years because they would come by and visit our youth group and so on. And um, you know, I don't know how many what everybody's doing. But the point is, is that's what Jesus demands of us. He demands it all. He demands our heart. And I want to ask you, are you ready to give it up? Let's pray, huh? Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came, that you died for us, that you did the work for us, Lord. Holy Spirit, I just ask you to reveal to us those things we're holding on to, those things that we've been unwilling to relinquish, Lord. The thing that, those things that hinder our faith, those things that cause us to be bitter, Lord, we give it to you. We lay it upon your altar. Lord Jesus, we just ask for you to do a work in us, Lord. Help us to become the least. Help us to become the least in our marriages, Lord. The servant to our spouses. Help us to become a servant in your kingdom. Whatever it means. If it means lifestyle changes, if it means giving things up, Lord. If it means serving more in your church or serving in missions, Lord. We lay it down now. We thank you. And we ask you to come, Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm so excited that tonight we're having this baptism. Um, I mean, we're, that's what we're talking about tonight. Laying ourselves down for the Lord. Committing to Him alone. No one else.
And so uh, tonight I want to bring down Cody Phillips. Now, baptism is an important ordinance that Christ has given to us, and it's not about um, a work that we're doing. There's nothing about this baptism that is adding to Cody's salvation. What this is doing is it's a symbolic of Cody being completely committed to Christ, that he's going down under the waters into the grave, and he's being resurrected new. That's what baptism is all about. New life in Christ, ready to serve him. Now, Cody, I want to ask you, why do you want to be baptized? Uh, Jesus commanded it, and he said, if you love me, obey my commandments. So I'm here to obey. All right, and um, you're born again? Yes. What does it mean to be born again? It means to uh, follow Jesus. All right, so you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin? I do. And what do you do, Cody, when you sin now? Uh, pray for forgiveness. All right, Cody. I'm excited to baptize you. <laughs> you too. Whatever. How do you want to do it? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Hold your nose. <laughs> Grab this elbow. There we go. All right. Cody Phillips, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask for your blessing to be upon this man. Lord Jesus, we praise you, God, that, Lord, as much as this is symbolic of going into the grave, Lord, you conquered that grave, and we will too, Lord. You are the first fruits, and we will follow. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this man. I thank you for his confession of faith. Lord, we ask for you to bless him. Make him a good husband, a good father, one who submits to you in all things. Lord Jesus, we pray for your spirit to fall upon this man. And Lord, we pray that you'd equip him for whatever work that you have prepared for him in Christ Jesus. We thank you and we ask this in our Savior's name. Amen. All right.